Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Also going to dismiss our children downstairs as they continue in their study of the gospel. We continue to trust in their discipleship and appreciate the teachers and really disciplers that give their time to them. And so we send them with God's blessing. It's snowing. I thought we were supposed to do good news here. Um, you know, I don't know about you necessarily where you are, what you're going through this morning. I don't know how you go about your days and the things that you face. I mean, I may have some idea, uh, being in a similar season that you may be in or not, and just understanding human nature and experience in general. But uh, I want to share a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a pretty distracted, all-over-the-place kind of guy. And it is easy for me, in the midst of the chaos and the complexities of life, to miss the point. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're, you're, you're busy, and you're trying, and you're in... But you sometimes walk around asking the question, what is the point of all of this? What's the purpose? What's the point? I mean, as a parent, as I'm driving around endlessly, like a cab driver, I'm asking myself, what is the point of this? Right? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Right? Driving Miss Daisy. That's parenting today. In marriage, as a husband, uh, in the midst of chores and responsibilities and teamwork, as we define our marriage often, uh, we can ease, I, I know I can miss the point. Raise your hand, husbands, if you know what I'm talking about. Wives, I miss the point. Right? And even in pastoral ministry, uh, I, I can easily, in the midst of working for church, that's the point, right? And all the responsibilities and complexities of, of caring for a congregation, I can miss the point. Even in my own practices of spiritual disciplines, even in being doing the things that I know are good and right and are faithful, I can miss the point. So even in our walk with Christ, we can miss the point. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about this morning. You're here, you're doing the right thing. You know it's where you need to be, but at the end of the day, you're still asking yourself, in the midst of all the complexities and the chaos of life, what is the point? What are we doing here? This week, I, really, the last 10 days, have been wrestling with this passage. And really, the last couple months, we've been in Romans 9 through now, entering into 11 very soon. This section in the scriptures that is, is an argument, a long argument of Paul, of a case that he's making and laying out. And there's theological complexity that exists in it. We've talked about some of the deepest mysteries of divine sovereignty in salvation and human responsibility. The purposes of God, the nature of God, His saving actions. 
This divide between Jews and Gentiles, those who have the law, those who do not, those who are seeking after righteousness, and those that could care less about righteousness. Some having it, and finding it, and some not. All this complexity and the chaos, and even the debating and the arguing and discussing about what these things really mean, man, it's easy to miss the point, isn't it? And so in the midst of the logical progression and the terms, in the, in the phraseology, I must confess to you that I quickly and deeply began to miss the point. And then something wonderful happened to me. Without reducing this down, I'm not promoting reductionism here. God showed me Jesus in the passage. And at the end of the day, I think that's what God is showing us in every passage, ultimately. Jesus. But I want to show you this morning, I want to bring you to a passage of Scripture in Romans 10 that is just simply soaked in Christ. I mean, it, it is full of Jesus. So if you're here today, and you're just missing the point in life, well, you're going to get a very clear, simple articulation of the point of life. And that is always connected to the person in the work of Jesus Christ. So I pray today that none of us miss the point. That really, more importantly, each and every one of us has a fresh, personal, very personal, an urgent, inspiring encounter with Jesus Christ in His Word. Does that sound good? Let's look to the Word of God, written, to give us insight into the Word of God incarnate, Christ Himself. Romans 10, verses 5 through 13. And all these points, let's see how they highlight the point, Christ. Verse 5 of chapter 10 says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord 
of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? <laughs> this is God's word to us and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Okay, I don't know what kind of personalities are in your house, but we have two very different ones, okay? So, uh, and it's really clear. Um, we have the safety keepers, right? So every decision is to maintain safety, security. And then we have the other ones that in every situation, how can we test the limits? How can we take risks? How can we do what no one has ever done before? We have safety keepers. Let's just keep things safe and predictable. And then we have a contrasting personality, which is like, let's do what no one else has done before. Even if we fall flat on our face, let's take the risk. Let's live on the adrenaline of this. Anybody in your home know uh, about these two contrasts? Some of your marriages are like that, right? Babe, let's do it. No way we're doing that. A lot of conversations go that way. I could imagine someone in our family approaching like this big gulf, this ravine, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, on one side there's this bridge that you could take across, and it's steady, it's stable, it's been built for you. Very simple. All we got to do to get to the other side is cross this bridge. And then another one saying, why don't we try to jump it? Right? Because that seems like a lot more fun. Right? And so here we have contrasting personalities. One to take the safe road. One to take the risk. One to maybe in, 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 in trying to prove oneself and take the leap can get to the other side and do what no one has been able to do. Bridge a, a gap that is impossible to jump across. You see, Moses is writing uh, uh, off, uh, in this passage, Paul's bringing up the fact that Moses writes about two different kinds of righteousness. And if you have gone back to, to chapter 9, verse 30, through chapter 10, verse 4, you'll see that he's talking about two different ways. Two different ways. One way that's actually effective, that gets you across, that bridges a gap that's... that's uh, uh, it, unjumpable. You can't cross it on your own. But there's still some that want to establish their own kind of righteousness. He's, he's putting side by side a, a contrasting way to approach a right standing with God. One is based on faith. One is based on works. And so here he is. He's saying in verse 5, he's quoting uh, a scripture from Leviticus chapter 18. He's saying, now understand this, that Moses is writing about uh, the righteousness that is based on the law. That a person who does the commandments shall live by them. It's that simple. Right? If you do the commandments, you shall live by them. And there's an approach to righteousness that is based on adherence and keeping the law. What you do determines, in the end, your righteous standing before God. You will live in blessing, really, in the original context, in the promised land if you do the commandments. 
But then he goes on to talk about a different kind of righteousness, a different kind of approach, a righteousness that is based on faith, verse 6. And it says this, Do not say in your heart, verse 6, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or will who descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, and in your heart and in your, I'm sorry, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. There's some seemingly complex language here that I hope to clarify for you so you understand what's going on. So he's saying there's one righteousness that's based on the law that seems really cut and dry. If you do them, you will live by them. You will live in God's blessing in the promised land. But there's another righteousness that's based on faith, and it says this. It says um, that, uh, that if do not say in your heart, and that's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 9, which again is Moses. Right? So he's quoted Moses from Leviticus. Now he's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 9. And it's in that context where we read uh, about uh, the Lord warning Israel that they're to not approach all the blessings that they have in the promised land with any sense of self-righteousness. Right? He says in verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 9, Do not say in your heart, there's that phrase, After the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that is, taking the people out of the land that he's given them, do not say this, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. So a righteousness based on faith says this to us from Moses. It says, do not assume that you have any righteousness of your own as a foundation to the blessing that you have received from me. Do not... uh, Do not assume that you bring any righteousness of your own to the table. It says, this righteousness that is based on faith, that we must reject any notion in our hearts that we have any self-righteousness before God. We bring nothing to the table when it comes to a right standing with God. We bring nothing of our own. We... We, we can try, like the unbelieving Jew, to establish our own righteousness in doing the works of the law. God is saying, a righteousness based on faith says, no. Do not think for one minute that anything you do, no matter how good you think it is, will give you a sense of righteousness that will be acceptable to me when you face my wrath and judgment. So, a righteousness that is based on faith is telling us that we must reject any notion of self-righteousness before God. There is no spiritual resume that we can bring to God that He will be impressed with or accepting of. And yet so many people today, and even uh, some people in the church Come with the idea that I'm doing the right thing. I'm I'm checking off the boxes of being a Christian or an evangelical. And on the basis of those things, these deeds that I do, God will accept me one day. We hear it all the time. Right? He's a nice guy. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. 
He's responsible. He works a job. He takes care of his family. He goes to church. He pays the bills. We get this sense of self-righteousness, and we, we believe just because we're doing certain things that that is the basis by which God accepts us. But he's saying we have to reject that. Do not say that in your heart, that it is because of your righteousness that God will accept you, any deed that you have done. The righteousness that is based on faith says we must stop trusting in any notion of ourselves and any righteousness that we bring to the table. If you're here today and you have any assurance before God that it's because of something you have done, please do not say that in your heart. It may not even be obvious. It may not even be overt. It may be very subtle things that... When in the midst of your uh, guilt or someone uh, calling into question some of your behavior, you rationalize it and make excuses, and you cover it. Yeah, I know I did that, but, but understand, but I also did this, so it kind of balances out. If there's any like subtle balancing act of good deeds that make up for bad deeds, I've seen that so often in, in, in watching my kids whenever they're, they, they come to face-to-face with disobedience or sin, They quickly want to do something to make up for it. Well, what do I got to do? They'll say, can I do the laundry? Can I I vacuum so that I can feel better and live the assurance that I'm okay? So I think we often do that. Even when we we pass the offering, I wonder if there's subtle moments and subtle attitudes and and presuppositions in our heart that, yeah, I I was really bad. I better give a little bit more this week to make up for it. Or maybe, maybe something's really sinful, a struggle going on in our life, and we say, well, God's mad at me, so I better do something to serve him or care about somebody else so that God's not mad at me anymore. Very subtle things it could be, but our basis before God is never based on our own sense of self-righteousness. Do not say that in your heart, whether obviously, overtly, or even subtly. We cannot say that in our heart. The righteousness that is based on faith rejects that. The righteousness of God that is based on faith also says that we must receive a word. We must receive a word that comes near to us in the heart. See again, Leviticus 18, just do the law, external. But what the righteousness of God that is based on faith says is that no, you must not do anything. Matter of fact, it is an action and a work of God to bring his word to you, very close to you, so close to you that it actually takes root and residence in your heart to transform who you are. You don't have to go to that. You don't have to find that. You don't have to pursue something that's far off and distant and inaccessible. No, God has done what is necessary. He has revealed himself to you in the word. God has come near to you in the word. That's what a righteousness of God that is based on faith says. You must receive God's word that comes near to you in the heart. Where do I get that? He says, do not say in your heart. And then he goes to Deuteronomy 30, 12 through 14. Who will ascend into heaven? In that context, who will ascend to heaven and go get the commandment and bring it to me? It's too far away. I got to go get it. 
Second, he says, we'll descend into the abyss to go get the commandment to bring it to me. Or cross the sea, I believe originally, and go get it and bring it to me. It's too far. It's inaccessible. And Paul is reading Deuteronomy 30, and he's saying, no, the fulfillment of this is Christ. He's substituting the command for Christ. He's saying, no, you don't have to go far. You don't have to journey to to heaven and bring it down. You don't have to go into the abyss and bring Christ up from the dead. No, God has come near to you in the word that is Christ himself. It's not inaccessible. It's not unclear. God has done everything to bring his word to you that he might give his righteousness to you. It's about receiving a word in the deepest part of our heart, transforming us. And again, if you look to Deuteronomy 30, you'll see even before this, do not say in your heart, I'm sorry, uh, who will ascend and who will descend. There's this, there's this promise of a day when God would come and circumcise the heart, do a work in the heart of his people, so that what? They would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, the law in, in Leviticus 18 served as a mirror. It served as a mirror. If anyone does these things, they shall live by them. But the truth and the universal problem is, is that we don't do these things. Time and time again, throughout the story of Israel, we look back at our own lives, no matter how many times we hear the word or hear about the law, the right thing to do, we consistently and repeatedly, because of our broken nature, we do not do it. And so the law points to a righteousness, but it does not provide a righteousness for us. But the word that has come to us in Christ, the word that is proclaimed to us in the good news about him, the gospel which Paul is pointing out, that is a word that comes to us in such a way to circumcise our heart, transform us, and give us now the newfound ability to do what the Lord requires. And that is only given and provided in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not in you, it comes from God to you. You don't have to search far and wide. You don't have to go on some spiritual journey somewhere to bring it down or bring it up. You don't have to figure out how to do task impossible. God has done it for you, and he's brought it to you in Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. For Christ, verse 4, is the end of the law. The law crossed the fin- Jesus crossed the finish line. It's over. It's no longer the standard by which people will turn to God for righteousness. It never has been. It pointed people to the finish line, and that is Christ. The goal, it's Christ. It's all about Christ. Don't miss the point. It's about Christ. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God's word. That has come near to us in such a way to provide what we could never provide for ourselves. Righteousness. Right standing with God. Acceptable unto Him. That is the gospel. And that's what we proclaim to you today. And even as we preach this word, God is coming near to you. In the gospel. He's not far from you. He's not distant. 
out there, somewhere you got to go find in the midst of the woods or on top of a mountain. God is present in the proclamation of the word of Christ. So God is near you. God is near you. Hear it. Hear it for what it is. It's no longer a doing of a work. Never was. It's about receiving a word in the heart that transforms who we are. But more specifically, what is this word of Christ? He goes on to tell us. He says, because, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This word of Christ is specific. It's simple, but it's specific. First of all, this word of Christ is that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is an exclusive claim. He's not a Lord among many. Jesus is the Lord. That's a title that points to his divine mastery of all. He's in charge. He is Lord. He is king. He's the boss over everyone throughout all eternity. Jesus is Lord. And that title calls for our submission. But you see, the Jews did, unbelieving Jews did not want to submit to God's righteousness in Christ. There was a stubbornness in their heart. Back to chapter 9. Oh, that'd be chapter 10. There was a stubbornness in their heart. But this word is proclaimed. Jesus is Lord. Calls for our submission. And if we do not give him submission as Lord, we will one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What? Jesus is Lord. We like to be lords of our own lives. We like to call the shots. We like to define reality. We like to make decisions about our time and our relationships. We even like to make decisions about what way we should go about approaching right right relationship with God in eternity. We like to call all the shots. We don't want anyone's authority over us telling us what to do. But understand this, by his very nature and his person, Jesus is that. He is Lord. And it calls for our submission. But not only that, Jesus is alive. You've got to hear that one. Jesus is alive. And that is not apart from understanding the fact that Jesus died. A historical death on a cross 2,000 years ago or so. Jesus died, but the, but the grave could not hold him. That is central to understanding the word that is brought near to you, the word of the gospel. Jesus is alive. You don't hear this today. People talk of it as fable, as, as, as some sort of um, fictional story to make people feel better, to give people hope. Even Christians might ask, why does it even matter? Jesus was a great teacher. He's a great model for us. Why does it even matter if he rose from the dead? Understand this. If Jesus is not alive, he is not Lord. If Jesus is not alive, he's still dead. And if he's dead, he has absolutely no power to do anything for us. In fact, if we believe in a Jesus that's not alive, Paul says that we're to be the most pitied of all people. 
We are wasting our time. But the scriptures teach and bear witness to the fact that Jesus is not dead. Yes, he died, but the grave could not hold him. And he was vindicated in his perfect, sufficient work. And he is now the risen Lord. He is alive. That is the central message of the early church. We bear witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. That has got to be the central message of the church today. That Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And that radically changes everything about our lives. Does it not? I feel like I'm yelling. Don't. Don't. Hear anger, hear love. <laughs> right, Evie? When I'm yelling, don't hear anger, hear love. Amen? Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. But that is not just some conceptual thing out there. It's not just some intellectual concept. No. This is something that is intensely personal for you for me. The emphasis here for sure is Christ, but also a dual emphasis of your response to this reality. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You. The order here is not to be overemphasized. It's just to match the order from Deuteronomy 30. The big thing you must see here is that this response, personal, real response in your heart is faith. Faith only. We are called to trust Him with our hearts. You are called to trust in Jesus with your hearts in the deepest part of who you are. Not just on some census exam. But in the deepest part of who you are, called to trust and rely and depend solely and wholly on Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And you're called this internal work that takes place. When God impresses faith on your heart, that that ends up overflowing externally. The internal work of God, faith, is expressed externally. Confession. That if you believe in your heart, internal. You confess with your mouth, external, that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no dichotomy between the heart and the mouth. Right? We see hypocrisy in religion all the time. People confessing, but their heart is far from him. The external is there, but there's no internal. But we also see another distortion. People that believe in Christ on the inside, but make no mention of it externally. Make no public profession of it. You hear years and years of knowing somebody, and you say, I had no idea you were a Christian. That's problematic. Right? The, the true belief in the heart overflows and is externally expressed out of the mouth. That this internal, private, personal matter is a public proclamation and expression. So we're to trust in Him with our heart. We're to confess Him with our mouth. And the wonderful assurance that we get is that if we do so, we're saved. We're saved from the danger of God's wrath. That a righteousness is provided. A righteousness that is based 
on faith, not works. It's not what we do. It's what Christ has done for us. And we simply trust in it. We rely upon it. It's so simple. You see, in the complexities, we miss the point. It's a simple truth that if you believe in Christ and confess him with your mouth, truly, you will be saved. Don't miss the simplicity of that. We like to make it more complicated than it is. It's just simple. If you believe, you confess, you'll be saved. Do you hear that? You don't have to do anything more. Believe and confess, and you will be saved. Such assurance, and it's all because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus. Thomas Brooks says, we who are Christians, we have all things in Christ. Christ is all things to a Christian. If we're sick, Jesus is a physician. If we thirst, Jesus is a fountain. If our sins trouble us, Jesus is our righteousness. If we stand in need of help, Jesus is mighty to save. If we fear death, Jesus is life. If we're in darkness, Jesus is light. If we are weak, Jesus is strength. If we are in poverty, Jesus is plenty. If we desire heaven, Jesus is the way. The Christian who has Jesus has all he needs. Fully, perfectly, eternally. My friend, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are secure. Because in Christ, you have all that you need. You believe in Christ. You confess him as Lord with your mouth. You are saved. You have all that you need. Nothing can take it away from you. Please let this truth be reinforced in your soul, O Christian. And if you're here today and you do not trust in Christ, please personally, really, comprehensively trust in Him now for salvation. There's nothing more significant for you now. In the distractions and the chaos of life, do not miss the point. Jesus... My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Jesus is the one way to salvation for all who trust in him as the risen Lord. Period. End of story. The point. You can't miss it. Don't ignore it. Don't make excuses. Don't, don't, don't bring philosophizing and theologizing. Yeah, but we'll do. Jesus is the one way to salvation for all who trust in him as the risen Lord. Enough of the complexities. Let's keep it simple. It's all about Jesus. This word of faith that provides righteousness, it's all about Jesus. And he is the one way. There are not many ways that lead to the same place. It is Jesus in Jesus alone. He is the way to salvation. He is the way to righteousness. And that is for all who trust in him as the risen Lord. It is not limited to a people that we would like to limit it to. It is not based on economic status. 
It's not based on the color of your skin. It's not based on a generation. It's not based on a fashion statement you're trying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't even matter how far sin has taken you. Because no one is outside of this call, outside of this truth. No one lives apart from this. And no sin, as grotesque and awful as it is, is out of bounds and is too powerful for the grace of God in Jesus Christ to reach it. It is a universal, inclusive call for the world. It's not limited to Jews who keep the law. No, it is for Gentiles. It is for all, anyone, everyone who calls on him will be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. We cannot put limits on this lordship of Jesus. That's nice for you, but it's not for me. No, everyone, anyone, all. It is a universal, exclusive truth. Jesus is the one way to salvation for all. So you say, but not not me. All. Yeah, but everyone. Every man, woman, and child. Lord of all, Jesus is. Amen? But this is also a very exclusive truth. There's no other name given among men under heaven, by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. There's one God and one mediator. One. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're not universalists here. We don't believe that everybody is saved. We don't even believe in in inclusivism. That is, Jesus paid the penalty, and everybody gets included in that, whether they believe it or not. We reject that. You must call. You must believe. You must trust. Truly, in the heart. Not just on the outside. In the heart. A transformation of the heart. Genuine, sincere, credible faith in Christ is absolutely necessary to claim these promises. Because Jesus is the one way to salvation for all who trust in him. As the risen Lord. Such simplicity to this. Amen? Such simplicity. Jesus is the one way to salvation. For all who trust in him as the risen Lord. So do that today. Trust him. Confess him. Call upon him. And you will be saved. You'll be free from the complexities of pagan religion, of all these steps that you have to do, these heights that you have to go to, these depths that you have to, this complexity. If we do all these things and God will accept us, be free from that. Just trust in Christ. You will be saved, liberated from endless vain pursuit of trying to do better, be better. That is not the gospel says that Jesus is enough and faith is sufficient to receive all the riches that he bestows on those who trust in him. Amen? Such conceptual simplicity, such personal intensity, 
This is, it, it, this is about your relationship with God. Your standing before Him. Your relationship. My relationship. It's not some academic exercise. This is a personal, intensely personal issue between you and the living God. You need righteousness, lest you be judged eternally. The good news is this, that you can have righteousness if it is received by faith as a gift through what Christ has done. You must deal with this. It's not too far. It's not inaccessible. It's not misunderstood. It's not beyond you. God has now preached it to you. It has come near to you in the preaching of His Word today. So, you personally embrace Jesus today. And if there's any skepticism in your uh, believing heart, like this, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief, cling to Him all the more today. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your sins, cling to Him all the more. Let the simplicity and the sufficiency of Jesus just quicken you to hold him tight. It's all about Jesus. And finally, as I close it, let there be an urgency in your heart about this. Let there be an urgency in you as a person made in the image of God who must deal with the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, even as we believe rightly in the love of God. There should be, this is so important. There's nothing more pressing in your life than this trusting relationship with Jesus. Man, as a parent with my three kids, there is nothing more important than them having a right standing with God. It doesn't matter how good they are at soccer or their grades. I mean, it does. That was for Doreen. But it doesn't in the realm of eternity. No report card in heaven. Zero. It's just the righteousness of Christ applied by faith. As parents, are we passionate about them hearing the word? Are we reading the word? Because it's the word that comes to us that shows us the way to righteousness. Are we, are we praying with them? Are we reading with them? Are we teaching them sound doctrine? Are we too busy helping them become better players? Better students, your spouse, man, in a marriage, don't miss Jesus in a marriage. It's all about Jesus, Christ, the church, the grace extended, the submission given. Man, we miss the point in marriage. It's not about you. It's not about happiness. It's about Jesus. Such an urgency. Many of our marriages crumble because Jesus is nowhere to be found. urgency. Don't wait on this. Your neighbors, don't keep driving into the garage and shutting the door and wait until May. A winter will go by and more and more their ears will grow, grow dull, their hearts will grow hard, and more and more they'll, they'll be distracted by the pleasures and purposes that they live for in this world. But man, I'll tell you right now, their eternity is at stake. They stand before a ravine assuming they can just jump. When in the end, they need to cross the bridge that was built for them. But you understand, if you don't bear witness to these things, which is kind of a segue into next week, if we're not bearing witness to this, if we're not believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth, 
then guess what? They'll never know about the bridge. They'll never know about the real way. They'll keep trusting in their own self-righteousness. We have to feel the urgency of this. That if they do not call on the name of the Lord, they will not be saved. That's a hard truth to swallow, but swallow it. Such urgency. Don't miss the point. Jesus is the one way to salvation for all who trust in him as the risen Lord. I'm done. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray the word would come to us deep in our hearts. Do a regenerating work. Give us new birth. Strengthen us through the gospel, through the sufficiency of Jesus. We confess to you that we've missed the point. We continue to to get distracted and we make things more complicated than they really need to be. We don't feel a sense of urgency, oh God, but today your word has spoken and we see Jesus so wonderful, so wonderful to see Jesus refresh us, inspire us, use us. May your word come out from our mouths as it is a true reflection of what you have done in our hearts. There's someone here today that's never believed in Jesus at all. We pray that today they would stop putting it off. Their eyes would be open, their ears would be open, their heart would be changed and warmed. They would come to a sincere, incredible faith in you and they would know the assurance of eternal life that they are saved from your wrath. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame holy lean on Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.